everybody, and welcome once again to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast, where I, your host, John Hernandez, is working his way from beginning to end through the sentimental saccharine saga that is Little House on the Prairie. If you've made it this far in my podcast, I want to congratulate you. I mean, I want to thank you. I know up to this point, I've done a lot of recommendations of book reading, but maybe you're actually interested in watching some of these episodes as I'm going over them. And I'm happy to tell you, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch the series there for free. Albeit, you have to deal with a few minutes of commercials filtered throughout, so it's just like you're watching regular television. It's also available to watch on the Peacock, Philo, and Fubo TV paid subscription services. And also, check in with your local library. They might have a physical format of it as well, but you do run that risk that it just might be really scratched. Also, you might be able to find a few episodes on YouTube. Regardless, somewhere in the world, Little House on the Prairie is on TV because it has been on TV since 1974. It has never been off the air. What I can offer you for pre-show trivia, since once again, Alison Argren and Melissa Anderson are not presented too much in the show, or not at all, the exterior shots of Little House on the Prairie were shot on Big Sky Ranch in Simi Valley, about 40 miles away from Los Angeles. And I would also like to make an apology. I have been saying lemon verbenum when I should be saying lemon verbena which also has another common name, bee brush. And in addition to an essential oil that will make you smell really nice, it also can help with fevers and chills, constipation, hemorrhoids, just to list a few things. Today's episode is titled Mr. Edwards Homecoming and aired October 2nd, 1974, written by Joel Murcott and directed by Michael Landon. Michael Landon directs almost half of these Little House on the Prairie episodes. We start off with a shot of a body of water. Now, I know we're not in Kansas, but we're definitely not in Walnut Grove. And slowly, a man starts to row, row gently down the... Oh, but this is Little House, so it's more row your boat ashore kind of moment there. So we know we're not in Walnut Grove, and the next scene gives us a clear description of where we are, Mankato Freight Depot. Charles is there picking up supplies for, doesn't really say who right off the bat, but he's picking up supplies. So in addition to double jacking, farming, roof repair, house building, and a number of other things, Charles can also add long haul wagon driver to that resume. The man working at the freight depot lets Charles know that he has a little bit of time to kill. So Charles heads out into the big city of Mankato, possibly looking for a present for Caroline. And we get to see the fashion of the big city. Long, colorful dresses, some parasols. And in fact, there is a pink parasol, lovely shade of blue dress that does catch my eye. Charles continues strutting down the wooden sidewalks and sideways of Mankato, and of course, staying alive is playing in my head. I, of course, looked up the distance between Mankato and Walnut Grove, and according to maps, it's 82 miles, uh, using Route 68 being your fastest way there. But a straight line makes it a 72-mile adventure there. So as Charles continues to saunter down the streets of Mankato, walking past the leather goods store, the barber shop, he hears a little loud ruckus right before a window breaks in front of him. Immediately we're concerned about Charles because that glass was 
right in front of his face there. But it so uncivilized behavior for the big city. We have to know what's going on. So Charles heads inside. And should we be surprised that it's a saloon? But the voice of the man inside is familiar because that is Mr. Edwards. A barely standing there Mr. Edwards. Charles makes his way through the crowd to his very inebriated friend, who is really just a distant echo of the man that we did meet out on the prairie. He's barely able to stand, he's barely even able to throw a punch, but he hears that name Ingalls, and he is able to identify what he refers to as his only friend. As Charles is rescuing his friend from this situation, uh, of course I can't help but wonder two things really. Um, what has he been up to? And um, either Mr. Edwards was hitting it really hard this morning, or was he just still going from the night before? Either way, Charles helps his friend by immediately ducking his head into the water at the docks. This gets Mr. Edwards to uh, belt out, I'd rather be drunk than drown. And Charles says, well, right now, I'd say you're half and half. And for those of you who are interested, that is supposed to be the Minnesota River. As Mr. Edwards sits back, he pulls out an orange hanky from his right pocket. Hmm. And we get this kind of explanation of what caused the fight, and Edwards says that he was having a few drinks, and other patrons came around, and there was, of course, some miscommunications, and they jumped him. And Charles immediately checks Edwards and says, That's not what it looked like to me. Mr. Edwards slightly changes his story and says, Well, they just got me riled up. And here's where we get this explanation of uh, Mr. Edwards is really just passing through Mankato there. He doesn't really have a, a purpose. So Charles then invites him home and to help keep him out of trouble and visit the family. And Edward seems so excited to hear that the girls still mention him from time to time. So it's these memories and words that finally get Mr. Edwards motivated enough. And Charles confirms, so are you going to come? And yep. If you help me get onto a wagon. Nice play on words there. Even Charles laughs at that joke. And in the next scene, that is also literally what is happening. Um, Mr. Edwards is on the wagon as Charles is driving him home. Now, that is, of course, one very bumpy ride. So Mr. Edwards is clearly passed out because nobody is sleeping through that wagon ride. And the next thing we know, we are pulling up outside of the Olsen's Merchantile. And again... There is supposedly 72 miles of distance between Mankato and Walnut Grove. So this was not a day trip. This was like an overnight adventure to get supplies. Charles awakens a disheveled Mr. Edwards off the back of the wagon there. And Mr. Edwards' first impression of Walnut Grove. Disappointment at a lack of a saloon. Priorities. As Charles is taking the goods inside... He sidesteps a woman whom we come to know is Miss Snyder. She seems friendly enough. She's heading down the stairs. And this is when Mr. Edwards' lack of civility finally catches up with him. Without looking, he turns around and spits his chewing tobacco. Unfortunately, the approaching Miss Snyder is almost caught in it. And she is revolted. Aghast is another word to describe that facial expression. Miss Snyder walks away disgusted. 
And that doesn't even really seem to bother Mr. Edwards. He actually smells his shirt and then inquires to Charles about possibly cleaning up before heading off to see the family. And Charles lets him know, eh, if you stink, you stink. Speaking of family, back at the house, Laura is sick in bed and she's receiving medicine. And it's most likely not the cherry flavor kind. Laura responds with, it hurts when I swallow, which makes me think back to the 80s and this commercial for chloroseptic spray where this poor girl is lying in bed and she's repeating, it will hurt if I swallow over and over again until she does and then it hurts and she yells out mommy. We find out that it is a tonsil flare-up and Laura inquires, uh, will she get her tonsils removed? Caroline replies, well, Dark Baker might take them out. But that's all interrupted when a barking jack announces Charles's return. Mary's the first one outside and she yells out Mr. Edwards and they welcome him home. Caroline inquires how the two came to find one another and Mr. Edwards starts to make up a story and Charles standing slightly behind Caroline is working so hard to control his grin because that grin would immediately call out Mr. Edwards BS. The two men go inside and they quietly sneak up to the loft area, which if we could already hear Jack barking outside, then we definitely heard Mary yell out Mr. Edwards. But apparently Laura falls asleep really fast because Charles does have to kind of shake her to wake her up, which that's kind of rude because girl is sick. She needs her rest. She might just be thinking this is all a fever dream or something. Charles informs Laura that he has brought her home a special gift, and that's when Mr. Edwards' grizzly bear appearance and teddy bear demeanor pop up into the loft. Mr. Edwards, she yells out. It's a nice reunion. It makes you smile. It also all of a sudden gives Laura a lot of strength because not only is she sitting up in bed giving hugs, but she's projecting her voice. Faker. Mr. Edwards at this point becomes really protective and overly concerned about Laura when he, they are hugging because he can feel her temperature. And Charles reassures him that this is just what happens. She's going to bounce back. As the two of them are leaving, Laura does profess that she can now spit just as far because I've been practicing. And Mr. Edwards reminds us, of course, that practice makes perfect. Charles also mentions this perkiness that Laura had upon seeing Mr. Edwards as he's escorting him up to the hayloft as a place for Mr. Edwards to bunk. I can just see the listing for this now. Second floor studio, beautiful view, floor to ceiling window with no glass, real hay covered hardwood floors and no attached bathroom, unfortunately taking a seat, Mr. Edwards wants to apologize for his snappy behavior, and Charles kind of brushes it to the side, saying, it's cool, you're concerned about Laura. And that's when Mr. Edwards wants to spill the tea. Mr. Edwards is a widower. He also had a daughter. Her name was Alice, a few years younger than Laura, with an uncanny resemblance, he says. And he brought the two of them out into the woods to live and they all got smallpox and the two of them died so so mr edwards has a little bit of survivor's guilt and laura's fever apparently brought up some memories so he's got a little pts there too he then asks for some soap in the creek so he can wash himself up and be presentable and charles 
almost ready to cry like he has that little wobbling chin just starting and he can barely get the words out um, but he promises to get some soap and i know it's a little early in our episode but this is what i would refer to as our little house moment there because both mr edwards and charles you just want to give him a big hug of support the next scene finds us at the dinner table and carrie is sitting next to mr edwards and she's mimicking him using his biscuit to sop up the dinner plate juices. Apparently, Carrie is not familiar with this technique of eating. The next view of the dinner table includes everyone, and everyone other than Carrie and Mr. Edwards are using their utensils. Charles and Caroline are doing their best to convince Mr. Edwards to stay at Walnut Grove, and although Mr. Edwards says he has no commitments, he also says a man can't up and just stay somewhere without, of, of course, the things that he needs, mostly a job since he does have a place to stay. And he also says he's not used to sticking to one job or location. Laura has crawled herself out of bed and is watching from the loft as the scene plays out. She once again uses all of her energy to muster out words to also encourage Mr. Edwards to stay. And Carrie? Carrie says, please stay. And it's coherent. This all proves too much for Mr. Edwards, and he finally makes a deal. He'll stay if Laura immediately heads to bed to recover. My words, not his. We have a lingering shot of everyone at the dinner table, and I just have to say, that is one well-crafted table and chair set. We cut to a close-up shot of popcorn, and as it zooms out, we see Charles and Caroline in bed eating popcorn. Charles is reading something, and it doesn't look like it's the Bible, so I wonder what he's actually reading. And out of the blue, she says, The Widow Snyder. Caroline has decided to play matchmaker. Charles' response to this is, Typical woman, matchmaking wrong as usual. Caroline defends this plan, because she says opposites attract. You know, like Paul Abdul and MC Scatcat. This makes Charles wonder aloud why Caroline was interested in a shy, sophisticated, educated man such as himself. As the camera zooms out, she looks lost in thought. And then it finally dawns on her. What did you say? Charles quickly kisses her, puts down his book, and turns out the light. Next day at the mill, apparently all you need is a Charles Ingalls recommendation because... Mr. Edwards was hired on the spot. Mr. Edwards is definitely one of those whistle-why-you-work uh, individuals. He is still singing his old Dan Tucker, and he tips his hat to Miss-slash-Widow Snyder there, and she is not having it. Or is she? Because she does do a second glance. Mr. Edwards is continuing to belt out the final notes of old Dan Tucker, which then cuts directly to Doc Baker and Laura saying, Ah... Nice transition there, Michael Landon. We are given an update about Laura's tonsils, and they are not so red, just a pretty pink. My tonsils are pretty in pink. Laura inquires about school and a possible operation, and Doc Baker's just reassuring her one thing at a time. Let's get the fever low and get you out of bed, and maybe we won't have an operation. And here, have some black licorice for taking your medicine. Doc Baker during his exit, makes a joke about hopefully not breaking his leg climbing down from the loft at the same time as he hits his head on the ceiling there. Doc Baker provides plenty of comic relief uh, unknowingly, and he is like our pioneer Patch Adams. Back at the mill during a break, Mr. Edwards discovers a crock jug, a whiskey jug floating by the mill, 
he picks it up and sadly he finds that it's empty, but he's smart enough to go ahead and reuse it for water. Miss Snyder, as we come to find out, runs the post office, so she's the post mistress, and from her seat, she catches Mr. Edwards taking a big ol' swig from this whiskey jug. She's having an OMG moment at this time. Oh my goodness. And then we find ourselves once again back at the house, where Laura is up and out of bed, and she runs out to meet Mr. Edwards. He picks her up, they have a moment, and he actually gives her a gift. He went to the store and picked her up some lemon verbenum. A beetle told him it was her favorite scent. Good one, Mr. Edwards. And he picks her up once again, and they shuffle inside. Now, last episode, the 100-mile walk, ugh, I even forgot to mention it because it was so great not having it there. A voiceover. And this voiceover really doesn't move the story any farther along. But we do see Charles doing his faux fiddle playing, and it's a rather somber song that he is going about this evening. The next day, as the girls are getting ready to head out of school, Caroline starts her plan. She inquires if Mr. Edward will be able to stop by the post office to pick up any sort of mail. And the girls profess that it is their job, but she's just laying on excuses to go ahead and really convince Mr. Edwards to go ahead and stop by the post office. And just like earlier, when Mr. Edwards was lying to Carolyn, Charles is off to the side with a smug smile on his face, completely aware of what is taking place right now. As Mr. Edwards and the girls are skipping to Walnut Grove, Charles congratulates Caroline on her effort to prevent their two, maybe three letters a month from accumulating. So now that we have this set up, we can actually have a real or a semi-real introduction here. Mr. Edwards stops at the post office and explains who he is and the Ingalls request that he does pick up the mail. Miss Snyder is doing office hours because he is simply a customer at this time and she doesn't even say his name. All she tells him is that he must fill out these forms and get signatures of authorization. As she continues to sit in her office, she does a second glance and witnesses Mr. Edwards pull out that whiskey jug and take another drink from it. At some point during her day, Miss Snyder gets up and goes to investigate that jug. And that's when she discovers that it's not whiskey. And Mr. Edwards catches her. And now she says his name and she offers an apology, but Mr. Edwards assures her that if it was full of alcohol, he would be drinking it. And they have a drink on it, accepting this misunderstanding, which then leads to another misunderstanding when Mr. Hansen comes out in the background and sees Miss Snyder holding that giant whiskey jug up to her lips. Mr. Hansen is kind of surprised by her drinking, it looks like, and Mr. Edward says it's always those quiet ones. And then, and I don't know why, and I also don't care, but Charles is shirtless, sharpening. Again, I don't care what he's sharpening. Mr. Edwards is singing himself some old Dan Tucker, and Caroline knows exactly what has happened. Mr. Edwards compliments the post office before heading to wash up. And the next thing we know, it's Sunday, and Reverend Alden is giving us a sermon about the temptation of drink and whiskey. And it's not tempting to me because I'm a tequila person. 
In the last row, Miss Snyder is sitting by herself, and across the aisle is Mr. Hansen. And there happens to be a very attractive gentleman extra sitting next to him there. Hansen looks over and is most likely thinking about Miss Snyder and her own drinking, and Alden is mentioning drink for medicinal reasons, which is something he has never heard of. Mr. Hansen approaches Miss Snyder as they are leaving the church about the sermon, and she says that it just went on too long. She thinks that drinking is a common weakness among men, and Mr. Hansen also throws it out there that it's a weakness for women, too, before making his exit. Carolyn tries multiple times to get Miss Snyder to come over to the house for dinner, and Miss Snyder turns down every invite. And speaking of dinner, in our next scene, Laura is giving thanks, and Mr. Edwards is the only one not in prayer mode. His arms are down by his side, his eyes are open, he's just looking at the food, getting ready to eat. Mr. Edwards is slightly disappointed because there was this possibility of company showing by, and of course, that was supposed to be Miss Snyder. Changing the conversation, Charles inquires about Sunday school, and according to Mary, note passing and jealousy dominated Sunday school. Of course, Charles corrects her and says that's not the purpose of Sunday school. Disregarding this bit of information, Laura continues and completes the drama that happened at Sunday school. And Mr. Edwards is intrigued, and then he starts to think. The camera starts to zoom in on Mr. Edwards, and we continue to hear Charles talk off screen about, you know, the right thing that you should be doing in Sunday school. But really, we just want to see Mr. Edwards' plan come to fruition. And so he sets to work. He needs to send a letter, or at least a note, or at least an envelope. And Laura gets to practice her penmanship. And later that day, Mr. Edwards intercepts the mail delivery to drop off a letter. And they question, why is he sending a letter to Walnut Grove while he is in Walnut Grove? And why does the letter smell? And it's funny because the man winces at it as if it's an, an offensive odor but it's lemon for Beanum. He pays for the postage and the letter is on its way to Mankato and Mr. Edwards is walking away and I just, I'm watching him walk away and he's very duck-footed. We cut back to Hanson's mill and it's payday. Mr. Edwards is getting his first paycheck from Hanson who's complimenting his work. Meanwhile, across the street in the hands of postmistress Snyder, the lemon for Beanum scented letter addressed to Edward shows up. And like clockwork, so does Mr. Edwards. And he receives the letter, and he takes one of the chairs, turns it around so he's facing Miss Snyder in the office, and proceeds to open up this lovely letter. And he is reading two blank sheets of paper. As for Miss Snyder, I will say this. Her yellow, air-filtered floral blouse is stealing the scene. She ignores all the reactions of Mr. Edwards as he's fake reading this letter, and at some point Mr. Edwards has to come to the end of that letter, and when he does, he gets up and he leaves, and he doesn't even replace the chair. Rude. And apparently it's not too rude, because in the next scene, she's across the street, once again sharing a drink of water from this whiskey jug, and Mr. Edwards does get her to confirm to come out for a dinner date at the Ingalls. Now her yellow and brown outfit looks amazing, but every close-up shot of her is included with this really ugly gray brooch. It's not helping. 
A glistening Charles and Carolyn are discussing something, but it doesn't matter because Charles is glistening and Mr. Edward calls out. So you have a five minute warning that we are having guests. And it doesn't matter, Caroline seems very pleased with her work. It must have been a great meal because we follow up with a dance party outside next to the bonfire with DJ Ingalls at the fiddle. Mr. Edwards drives Miss Snyder's wagon back home and puts away the horses. And I'm guessing that we're back at the post office, which means we're once again in Walnut Grove. That means Mr. Edwards has a two and a half mile walk to get back to the Ingalls place. Miss Snyder assumes that Mr. Edwards does miss Mankato because it is a bigger place, but really she's just insinuating the letter that he had gotten earlier. He assures her that it feels great to be closer to folks that he knows here. And that's when he drops an fishing invite. She accepts it. And this is when we also find out her name is Grace. Grace Snyder. Mr. Edwards makes his exit into the night, still singing that old Dan Tucker. At the banks of Plum Creek, as they are fishing, Miss Snyder compliments Laura's fragrance. And she yells out, it's a lemon verbenum, and it was a gift from Mr. Edwards. Oh no, the jig is up. Miss Snyder calls out Mr. Edwards. You sent it yourself. And he doesn't deny it. In fact, he confesses the entire scheme. And Miss Snyder is flattered by all the effort. So things between them seem to be moving in the right direction. We get another misunderstanding as Mr. Hansen watches Miss Snyder race over to Mr. Edwards, taking another giant swig from that whiskey jug, which is then followed of the two of them sitting around Miss Snyder's table, sipping some tea. Mr. Edwards is trying to set up another fishing date between the two of them, and he suggests Sunday. Miss Snyder then inquires, well, before church or after church? Because it is the Lord's day and all. Mr. Edward then confesses about his lack of faith, even possibly being an atheist there, which to Grace Snyder is a deal breaker, and she shuts down. And that's when Mr. Edwards kind of lays down some facts, you know? She's kind of a hard person to figure out. They've been together for a couple days, a couple weeks, having fun. And what's different is that he doesn't go to church, even though he is, of course, the same person when they met. And she also replies, well, so am I. This attending church argument, of course, just takes me back to Caroline when she was in Kansas and how she disregarded Mr. Edwards. But in the end, Mr. Edwards' actions spoke way louder. And as we know, Caroline warmed up to Mr. Edwards. Caroline has a run-in with Miss Snyder at the Merchantile, and Miss Snyder, she's a little flat. Um, Caroline says that we enjoyed your company and we would love to have you over again, and Miss Snyder's response is, no thank you. And feeling responsible back at the house, she heads up into the hayloft to confront Mr. Edwards, and she catches him packing up. I've been happy here, but a town ain't no town without a saloon. Plus, he feels it's time to move on. And that's when Caroline gives him a grace update, which stops him in his tracks. And that's when they start to discuss the differences and the lack of faith. He confesses that it's not that he doesn't believe in God, so he's more agnostic than he is atheist. But in regards to the passing of his wife and his daughter, he feels as though God and him don't really have much of a relationship. Caroline asks if he does believe in anything, and he, Mr. Edward responds that he believes in himself, which, you know, it's good for you to believe in yourself. But in regards to Miss Snyder, it's just not enough. 
He says he'll be gone in the morning and he hates goodbyes. And Caroline puts her foot down and she flat out says, you are punishing God for these actions that happened. And if you can't forgive and forget, then you can't really move on. Paraphrased. And she pleads with him to not do that. And she leaves the loft. Mr. Edwards goes right back into his rendition of Old Dan Tunker, which the way that he sings it, this is his mantra. This is the song that gives him strength. And as Mr. Edwards is singing the song, he slowly comes to the realization that all these things that he's been singing about of Old Dan Tucker, Old Dan Tucker has been doing this all by himself. And maybe Mr. Edwards is just tired of being by himself. Once again, it's Sunday and we're at church. Mrs. Snyder is sitting by herself as everyone is singing, bringing in the sheaves. And that's when Mr. Edwards walks in. And I have to ask, where did he get his new outfit? I myself would undo the top button of that shirt. It's not a collared shirt, but it, it does work. But upon seeing him, Mrs. Snyder does smile and offer him a seat. Carolyn and Charles, who is in a plain eggshell white shirt, are both equally surprised to also see Mr. Edwards there. He is trying really hard to follow along in the hymn book there. And as the camera zooms out, uh, I can't help but once again be distracted by the handsome man with a straw jawline and a chin dimple, perfect stubble, jet black hair, sitting next to Mr. Hanson. As they continue singing about bringing in the sheaves, the final shot has us looking at the entire congregation. And I have two questions pop into my head. One, why are Mary and Laura and Carrie the only kids in church? And two, there is a woman in, sitting in the front row and her bonnet is down over her face. She's the only face that we do not see. And I can't help but obsess about that. The end. Definitely some interesting thoughts that came out from watching this episode. So let's go ahead and begin with, of course, any sort of compare and contrast with the source material. And of course, that topic of conversation is going to be about Mr. Edward. Mr. Edward's introduction happened in The Little House on the Prairie book, and he was a pretty prominent character throughout the entire book. He is described as a younger man, maybe mid-20s, early 30s, and a bachelor from Tennessee, who did have a thing for singing old Dan Tucker. And after the Ingalls and Mr. Edwards part ways on the prairie of Kansas, he has two additional cameos in the series. In the shores of Silver Lake, Charles, who's trying to file a claim on some land, encounters Mr. Edwards, who assists Charles once there's a rush at the office door. But in the long winter, there's essentially a family reunion where everyone gets to see Mr. Edwards. Mr. Edwards is looking to head west away from the politicians, and in his brief visit, he does manage to play Secret Santa again by contributing funds for Mary's education. And according to Prairie Fires, Mr. Edwards wasn't even Mr. Edwards. In fact, Laura Ingalls couldn't remember his name at all. And his name appeared as a Mr. Brown in the book Prairie Girl, the annotated autobiography of Laura Ingalls Wilder, edited by Pamela Smith-Hill. And according to her footnotes, there was neither a Mr. Brown or Edwards that lived in the vicinity of the Ingalls. However, there was an Englishman, 25-year-old bachelor, named Edward Mason, who did. Now, this is definitely one of our first episodes that deals with the theme of faith really heavily, but I was actually more interested in the science that was presented in this episode. 
Earlier in this episode, when Laura starts talking about having her tonsils removed, I immediately got curious about tonsil removal and how long it had been around. But then I also got really curious about smallpox. And reading up about smallpox actually seemed more relevant. Smallpox. Now, the exact date of its appearance is widely speculated, but it's been around through history from BC to AC. And of course, through the growth of civilization, exploration, and trade expansion, smallpox got around. In some religions, there were even deities representative of smallpox. And it wasn't until the 16th and 17th century that it was introduced into the Americas. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about signs and symptoms of smallpox. If you want more information on that, you can Google it. And I do recommend avoid looking at images. Now, the first efforts to control the smallpox variolation actually used the smallpox itself. It wasn't until 1796, and Edward Jenner, with the help of milkmaiden Sarah Nelmes, who had cowpox, he was able to test his theory about immunization. Cowpox? Chickenpox? How many different barn animals had pox of some sorts? It makes you wonder how old MacDonald actually died. By 1801, Jenner's paper is published with his findings and the process to eradicate smallpox had begun. By 1813, different countries were doing their part to eliminate the disease. The Vaccine Act of 1813 happened in the United States to help with this process. You'll never guess some of the methods of control they used to avoid exposure. Quarantining and distance. Doesn't necessarily say social distance, but I guess it's the same thing. And according to Robert K. Massey's biography of Catherine the Great, she was inoculated before the vaccine was available. And she said, My objective was, through my example, to save from death the multitude of my subjects who, not knowing the value of this technique and frightened of it, were left in danger. It wasn't until the 1950s there was a major effort to work on getting rid of the disease. A global effort. Countries, organizations working together. Janet Parker was the last person to die of smallpox in 1978, and on May 8, 1980, WHO officially declared the world free of smallpox. And just in case you're wondering, my sources uh, for this information are the CDC, the National Center of Biotechnological Information, and a Wikipedia page, and I'm all about the footnotes. So smallpox can be around for millenniums and eventually get eradicated, then we can surely get together and work on the current predicament. All right, so now we're going to go ahead and talk about rating this episode. There were certain things about this episode that made it feel like an amalgamation of Jane Austen's novels. Jane Austen's Miniature Cottage on the Meadow. Of course, it's nice to see Mr. Edwards again, but I do have to wonder, could we just have met Mr. Edwards in Mankato a few episodes into the series? I don't have much love for the pilot movie. I would have to say that my biggest complaint about this episode, unfortunately, is Mr. Hansen and his misunderstanding in regards to the drinking that is taking place. Now, the first time it's funny, but then it just becomes this reoccurring thing that doesn't really go anywhere. Like, what is Mr. Hansen's prejudice against us? Is he trying to save Miss Snyder from becoming an alcoholic? Because, again, we know Walnut Grove does not have any sort of saloon. And then, of course, why doesn't he say anything to his employee, Mr. Edwards, who he does catch drinking from his whiskey jug on the job? It just stopped being funny. You want funny? Put Doc Baker in the scene. He'll make it funny somehow. I don't know why. 
but um, that really bothered me a lot in this episode. So for an overall rating, I'm going to give it four and a quarter bonnets there. So again, our quarter is that we have picked out our material. And one final thought. Earlier, there was the scene of Charles and Caroline in bed eating popcorn. What are your thoughts on that? I know that some people um, totally don't mind it at all, and there are other people who are completely disgusted by that idea. So I'd like to hear your thoughts about it. And of course, any thoughts you might have on this episode. You can reach me at fromplumgreekwithlove at gmail.com. Lastly, I'd like to say you can also rate and review me on iTunes. So that brings us to the end of the episode today. Once again, thank you for listening to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care. Thank you.